Good morning. Today is Friday, January 7th, 2022. There's a detail of the narrative in our Parsha as the Jews are leaving Egypt that is a bit strange and actually a bit embarrassing. It's tacky. Just as the Jews are about to leave, after the 10th plague, after Pyro has come and said, go, finally, go, Hashem says to Moshe, Daber Nehom, speak to the people of Israel, V'yishalo ish esriehu, v'yishameis ruusa. Each man should ask his fellow, and each woman should ask her friend, Give me objects of gold and give me objects of silver. How did this come to be about the money? I mean, I thought it was about freedom. I thought it was about liberty, freedom from tyranny, going to serve God. How did this become a way to enrich themselves with gold and silver? And, and, and how, how did they have friends to ask? Go ask your friend. What kind of friend do you think you had the night after Makas Bukharas, God forbid, Nebuch, where in every single Egyptian household, God forbid, Nebuch, a, 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 someone had died? And now you're going to go and say, oh, give me some gold and give me some silver because I'm leaving. I'm never coming back. So give it to me. But the verse is so strange for, for multiple reasons. Because first of all, they didn't need any wealth. The Torah specifically tells us when they were traveling through the desert, I'm sorry. Your clothing will not wear out. What do you have to spend money on in the desert? There are no stores. You don't need food because you have the mun. You don't need a home because you have the sukos. You don't need clothes because what you have is not going to wear out. There's nothing to spend it on. What's the point of taking gold and silver from Egypt if there's nothing to do with it? And not only that, it got them into trouble. Because what did they use it for? You know, they had nothing else to spend it on. So what did they spend it on? Well, our sages tell it they spent it on the golden calf. The Egel Azov, that's what they used it for. The, the, uh, says the Gemara in, in, in Mesach the Brachos. Amar, Amri Debe Rabbi In the Yeshiva Rabbi Yane, they taught, Kach Amar Moshe Lefnei HaKadosh Baruch After the sin of the Egel, Moshe, the defense attorney for the Jewish people coming to defend them and to bring any line of reasoning for why God should forgive the Jewish people for the golden calf. He said a lot of different things, but among the things he said is, Ribona Shalola, master of the universe. Bishvil Kasavazov Shehishpat Lahem Li Israel. Hu Gorim Shaasu Egel. 
You know why they made this golden calf? It's only because you, God, told them to take golden calf and gold and silver, and they had nothing else to do with it. So they, so it was available for the golden calf. If you, God, would not have told them to take so much gold and silver, this sin never would have happened. So God, you can't hold them accountable. All right, it's not such a great legal argument, but it was part of the argument that worked. Parenthetically, this is such a common phenomenon because we all want more money. I want more money. And when we get it, often we are less happy than we were before. Everyone says, I say, I'm an exception. <laughs> if I had a little extra money, I would just be happier, right? But, but the experience of the world is it doesn't work like that. And when we have more money, very often, it gets us into trouble. Early in his career, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was a rabbi in, Mon in Toronto. Later, he moved and lived his later years in Muncie, New York. But earlier, he was a rabbi in Toronto. And he was close with the Reichman family. The Reichman family, the fabulously wealthy, religious family uh, based in Toronto, gave millions and millions to support Torah, to support Jewish education, to support other causes. A remarkable, remarkable family. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was once having a conversation with one of the Reichmans. And, and this Mr. Reichman said to Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, who of course was this unbelievable Torah scholar, lived very, very simply, never had any possessions, very, very simple lifestyle. So Mr. Reichman said to Rabbi Yaakov, which of the two of us do you think has a greater share in Olam Haba in the world to come? Who do you think is going to get more reward in the world to come? You, because of your Torah learning, Rabbi Yaakov, or me, because I support your Torah learning? Which one of us do you think will get the better reward? So Rabbi Yaakov said to him, I don't know which of us will have a better olam haba, which one of us will fare better in the world to come. But of this I am certain. When it comes to olam hazeh, this world, there is no question that I have a happier life than you do. Our sages tell us, when a person loves money, they will never be satisfied. The more possessions a person has, the more, the more difficulty and anxiety and trouble they have because of it. That's why some of us are getting rid of some of our things now. So it got them into trouble having all this stuff. And by the way, don't think that this detail of taking the gold and silver from the Egyptians as they left was just some kind of last-minute addition to the program. This was not an afterthought. 
The first time that God spoke to Moshe way back in the parsha of Shemos at the burning bush, the first time, and the first time that God described to Moshe the plan of leaving Egypt, God said to Moshe, I will cause at the time of the Exodus that the people of Egypt will have find have favor and graciousness towards the Jewish people, as improbable as that sounds. And when you leave Egypt, you're not going to leave empty-handed. You'll ask them for gold and for silver, and they'll give it to you. Vinitzaltem es Mitzrayim. Listen to that phrase. Vinitzaltem es Mitzrayim. Now, normally it's translated as, and you will take the spoils of Egypt. So, somehow this is central to the entire narrative, and the question is why. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs suggests that this is based on a fundamental principle of life. We've discussed this before in other contexts. A people or a person driven by hate cannot be free. If Moshe would have taken the Jewish people out, with their hatred of the Egyptians in place for all time, we would still be stuck there. To be free means you have to let go of hate. There is no other way. The Talmud tells us when the kettle boils, it spills hot water over its own sides. Hatred causes more harm to the hater than to the hated. Now, that doesn't mean to let go of the memory of what happened. We remember every day when we say the Shema. We remember what the Egyptians did to us. But the purpose of our memory is for the future. I discussed this last night. The purpose of our remembering the, 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 the pain that we felt and the persecution that we felt is for the future so that we should be more careful than anyone else not to do that to somebody else, to be more sensitive to that for others because of what we suffered. That's why we remember it, not in order to hold on to our anger. A wise person once said, memory is a moral tutorial. That's what you should do with a painful memory. You use it as a moral tutorial. You use it for the future, not to hate. When a servant goes free, the Torah says later, the master gives that servant gifts. It doesn't compensate the servant for all the losses, the lack of freedom, the lack of dignity. But there are gifts so that the parting of the servant from the master 
is with an act of goodwill. Because as incomplete as it is, it's much harder to hate someone who is just giving you a present. It gives freedom. Freedom to the servant to build a new life, not to spend the rest of it enslaved in anger over what happened in the past. Shlomo Karbach was once asked the question, do you hate the Nazis? And Shlomo said, if I had two souls, I would devote one to hating the Nazis. But since I have only one soul, I don't want to waste it just on hating. The conversation that God had with Moshe is, here's the mission I'm giving you. Here's what's going to happen. You will go free. But I mean, God says to Moshe, really free. Free not only from servitude and persecution, but free from hatred, free from bitterness, free from being stuck in the past. That's the complete freedom that I'm going to give to you, God says to Moshe. Because you will ask for wealth, and it's so improbable that they're going to, at the moment of the greatest enmity, when the Egyptians should have more hatred for the Jews than any other, right after the 10th plague, there should be such hatred. But you're going to ask, I told you before, normally it's translated as, and you will take the spoils of Egypt. But that's not the literal translation. Vinitzaltem from the root word hatsala to save. Literally, it means you will save Egypt. In other words, by asking for gold and silver to take with you, you will save Egypt from becoming the object of your hatred. And because of that improbable act of goodwill, just before they left, God promises you will be freed from hatred along with slavery. And the same thing happens in our own individual lives. Something bad happens, we remember, but if we allow ourselves to remain with the hate, we remain slaves. We remain stuck. That's what God was giving us by arranging for us to ask the Egyptians for their wealth. We didn't need it to be wealthy. We needed it for our freedom. To be free you have to let go of hate. And we are having a really hard time with that right now. This has become a symptom 
of our current ills just as much as fever and coughing and the other symptoms of this pandemic. Sarah Liao wrote an article in last week's New York Times. Nerves at the grocery store were already frayed. It was a grocery store in Minnesota. There's an employee there named Anna Luna. And a man comes in and we've all been living through COVID for a long time. And this man wanted Cambazola. It's a type of expensive blue cheese. I don't personally know what this cheese is. I don't know if it's available for kosher, but it's Cambozola. It's a, a fancy cheese. He looked in the dairy area, couldn't find it. He looked around, he couldn't find it. He looked in the gourmet area, couldn't find it. He flagged out an employee, the boy couldn't find it. He told him to go to the back of the store to look for it. There was nothing in the back of the store. And then this man lost it. He just, he had a meltdown. He started screaming and yelling. What do you mean? You don't have this cheese. What do you mean? How is it possible? And this woman, this employee, Anna Luna says, have you seen a man in his sixties have a full tamper tantrum because we don't have the expensive imported cheese he wants? You're looking at someone and thinking, I don't think this is only about the cheese. Sue Miller, who works in a nonprofit trade association in Wisconsin, said, People are just, I hate to say it because there are a lot of really nice people, but when they're mean, it's a different scale of mean. And we're seeing this all over. Rage. One expert explained it's because there are a lack of outlets for people's anger. I understand that. That waiter, that flight attendant, they become a stand-in for everything coming between what we experience and what we think we're entitled to. We need an outlet. We need to decompress. We need to do whatever we need to do in order to prevent our own enslavement to anger and rage. Because that's not the way to do it. Because what's happening in these cases is that we're enslaving ourselves We're making ourselves subject. And we need to trade that to prevent that rage and anger from enslaving it ourselves. So we need an outlet. We need to think about it. And I think this week's Parsha is a great opportunity to think about how to create even if it's small acts of goodwill, just to change the dynamic. Because enslavement to anger is even worse than enslavement to power.
My friends, I want to wish you a great day and a beautiful Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.